this truck has naughty words. Welcome to the Sexy Selfish Podcast Series. I'm your host, Shona Gates. I'm a women's life coach, success strategist, and a self-proclaimed badass. And I'm here to help you rediscover your authentic self, stop delaying your happiness, and step into your truth. This podcast has been created to connect, inspire, and nurture mums who want more. Are you ready? Hi everyone and welcome to the Sexy Selfish Podcast. Today we're chatting with Sarah from Miko Blue. So Sarah is a mum of two. She's an entrepreneur with her own business and company. Plus she is a sustainability warrior. So she really lives the most ethical and sustainable and minimalist lifestyle she possibly can. And she's super passionate about sharing and inspiring people to live simply and the biggest way that she does that is actually through sharing her journey of being a mum and running a business while building her own tiny home so those adorable little homes that you've seen on Pinterest you know the ones that are on wheels and people can move around Sarah actually lives in one she and her husband built one like themselves and they raise their two daughters in there as as well as working full-time and running a business so guys Sarah has such an amazing journey and so much insight into really what it is to be conscious of the footprint you're leaving on this earth so I'm so excited for today's chat we are talking about her journey you know, building the tiny house and the challenges that came up and how she overcame that, being a mum, running a business, you know, in a very, very small space. And we're also chatting about ways, you know, simple actions that you can take daily to, you know, preserve this earth for future generations and live a more simple and sustainable and more joy-filled life. So let's meet Sarah. Hi everyone, it's Joni here with the Sexy Selfish Podcast and we're here today with Sarah from Miko Blue who has such an interesting life and journey and story and I can't wait for you to hear more about it because guess what? She lives in a tiny house on wheels with her two young daughters. I know, I know, don't worry, she's not crazy. Sarah, come on in and say hi. Hi everyone. I'm so pleased to be here and um, share a little bit more of um, my story with you. It's really awesome. So it's been a whirlwind couple of years for you, I guess, with, you know, building your tiny home and I know you've been moving and obviously having, you were pregnant when you were building the tiny home as well. So tell us all about that journey. What made you decide to want to go tiny? Yeah, I think for us, it wasn't one specific thing. So there were a whole lot of things that sort of brought us to that point. Um, Jeremy and I had met in Darwin and moved quite quickly to Adelaide where we got married really quickly. So we were still learning each, uh, learning all about each other and um, what our personalities and passions were. And, you know, all these different things happened. We had a daughter, we became a family. And 
we had bought our own house and settling into that rhythm of living. And at about that point, um, when our daughter was about nine months, my husband left the army and moved to casual work. And we suddenly realized that with very little income, we had very little stability and we were looking to be more self-sufficient. So we started doing, you know, all the right things to be more self-sufficient, but there was always more, more that needed to be done. So we had this huge goal to be self-sufficient. We started doing vegetable gardening and um, looking for options for full-time work for him. And he found full-time work in New South Wales. So we moved, we halved our possessions. We weren't in a very big house. It was a very old house, um, but we pretty much halved our possessions when we moved to New South Wales and started again, new place, new community, new friends, um, close to Jeremy's family, which we hadn't done before. So everything was new. And the house we moved into was Jeremy's parents' house. So they'd been in the house for nearly 30 years at that stage. It was a big house, five bedrooms, two and a half bathrooms, you know, full library, like wall-to-wall library. There was so much space. And even with how much we decluttered, I couldn't get to the bottom of the cleaning. Like there was just always more to do and I was stressed. So being a stay-at-home mum, I wanted to be there and be present for my daughter, but I was stressed. I was crying and I was miserable because it didn't matter how bloody hard I tried, I couldn't get on top of the mess. Um, And it's devastating. I think as mums, we have this idea of what we want to be as an ideal mum. You know, we want to make the meals and be there for our kids and be the perfect housewife. And in a house that size, I couldn't do it. I had this expectation for myself that I couldn't do. And so we'd started looking at options to downsize. And at about that time, we stumbled across this idea of zero waste. I think it was a Facebook group, but I'm not 100% sure where we first started coming across this idea. And it was quite confronting for us because I always considered that we were very responsible. We put our rubbish in the bin, we put our recycling in the recycling, and we never littered. I thought we were very responsible with our waste, but the reality hit us and we were filling up our wheelie bin with rubbish every week. Looking back now with the changes we've made, I actually don't know how we were doing that, but we were, we were filling up our rubbish bin every week. And so we started on this process of being more sustainable and more aware of our environment, making wiser choices. And so you put all of these things together. We were now conscious about the environment and our impact on the environment. We were wanting to declutter and to live in a smaller space and live more simply, have more time to be a family and be self-sufficient. And you put all of these things together and it was like this concept of tiny living just sort of appeared out of nowhere. And it was just, it was just right. It fitted all these things that we were looking for. It fitted all these desires and our want to be self-sufficient and have the time to do that. Because the reality is that a vegetable garden is work. And then if you add, you know, I want to homeschool and we've now got two kids and, you know, all the other aspects of maintaining a property, the reality was I couldn't do that while living in a big house. So all of these things sort of pulled down together and tiny houses were the answer. That's, 
That's so cool. And, I, and like when you speak about having the gigantic house and never being able to get on top of it, I'm sure so many women and mums listening would absolutely relate to that because I 100% do. And I'm like just so stoked my kids are in an age where they can now do chores because it's like lessened by workload. But yeah, it's full on. And it's like we have this expectation as mums, as women of what we want our life to look like and the type of mother we want to be. And then it's just, it feels like you're playing catch up your entire life, trying to hit that expectation, that blueprint of what you expected. So I love that you accepted that blueprint, but then you decided to rewrite it and change it up. And that's just so cool. So I, what was I going to say? I've lost it. Um, (laughs) I'm looking at your video right now and I can see your tiny house behind you going from a five bedroom to bathroom to a tiny house that must be so different I think the right word is culture shock (laughs) (laughs) it was a huge transition and so we've been in here for about seven months now almost seven months and there's still changes and there's still adaptations so we're still mastering and I mean a part of that is we have kids and kids grow up and you work out how you need to parent a child and three days later they change their routine have you noticed that yes all the fucking time they do that it's so annoying (laughs) yes so um it was a huge transition and there was so much we weren't prepared for I think as far as the building side goes look there were things we weren't prepared for and there were mistakes that we made But what really hit hard for us was how hard um, downsizing downsizing so significantly was and how much of a lifestyle change that was. It it really is a culture shock. It is, um, I think it's a very difficult thing for people to get their heads around how that looks. I think in in Australia and in a lot of, um, you know, the Western world where we're almost separated as families, we you know, maybe mums in the kitchen cooking, not to like, you know, generalize or anything, but often, you know, mums in the kitchen cooking dinner and the kids are mucking around in the lounge room and maybe one of them sitting on their, you know, their Game Boy or their iPad or whatever. And, you know, maybe dad's in the study or dad's watching the football or, you know, whatever that looks like, or he's out the back mowing the lawns, you know, whatever. But we're all home, but we're sort of separated by these walls. We're contained in different environments. And so the transition to all being in one space is huge. It, it really is a huge adaptation. I can imagine like, there's certainly times where I just need to go and put my daughter at the other end of the house. Otherwise I'm going to flush her down the toilet and to not have that freedom in a small space, it must kind of force you to communicate and force you to understand each other better. And yeah, to work on those problems that otherwise we would just go into a room, shut the door and hide from. You don't have the space to hide. Yeah, that's it. And I think it's definitely that learning to deal with problems rather than hiding from them. Um, It's very easy to not give each other the cold shoulder, but, you know, like you said, sort of separate yourself when, you know, something's driving you nuts. Um, There definitely is the need to, because you can't ignore the problems. They're right there. They're in your face. Um, Working through things together is definitely a really big part of making a small space work. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we'll, we'll touch on, I might come circle back to that about the relationship and how it's impacted you as a person. So did you, was it a DIY build or did you use a service to build your house? And what was the experience like actually building this small thing 
or if you did, yeah, building a small thing. Yeah, so we DIY built. Um, we looked at a lot of different options and we had a chunk of money there. So um, part of the process for us, I mentioned before about being self-sufficient, we had a chunk of money there and we did actually go look at land. And the reality was that the land that we could afford was more than an hour away with nothing on it, like it was forest. We would have had to fell it and put trees up and establish the land and build a house and it just wasn't gonna work. So we took this chunk of money and we went, let's build something that in the future we can relocate to land one day. So we, we had this chunk of money that we had to work with. So that meant that DIY building was the smartest choice that we could do because we have completely built our home with cash. There is no loans, no finance, nothing. We have built our home with cash. I just um, got tingles. I just have to jump because like, just imagine that being able to have a home in cash yeah. and not having a mortgage. That's, that's something so many people wouldn't even be able to fathom. How does that feel not having a mortgage? It's so awesome. And it gives us so much more freedom. So in the future, what we're working towards is my husband only having to work say two days a week, maybe three days a week and being able to do all of those other passions because we don't have all that finance hanging over our head. And yeah, sure, there's still insurance and there's still, you know, fueling the car and groceries and all that sort of stuff. But the smarter we can get with our resources, the more we, we can just move into our own space and our own lifestyle and our own step because we don't have all that finance hanging over our head. It's, it is the best feeling in the world to not need to answer to anyone about our space. It's fantastic. That's just incredible. And like I said, I got tingles when you said it because yeah, for me, like not having a mortgage, having a sustainable home for people that know me, that's something really close to my heart and to hear other people actually branching out and doing that and living mortgage free. Like that's just amazing. That's what I feel like. That's the biggest middle finger to the man. Like, haha, you're not getting $600 of my money every single week. <laughs> so I love it. I love it. So badass. Um, so yeah, going through the build process, what were some of the hurdles you came up against being, being DIY builders for the first time? Yeah. So there was, there was first of all needing to find, so we had our trailer built by someone else um, because we wanted to know that the actual foundation. So normally when you build a house, your foundation is concrete, right? You know, it's, it's there, it's not going everywhere. It's completely solid in a tiny house on wheels. Your foundation is this metal frame balanced on top of a handful of wheels. So we wanted to make sure that the person who built that knew what they were doing. So we had our trailer outsourced. So that was the first hurdle was finding someone to do that for us. Um, and then it was this whole process of, so where do we start? <laughs> um, so we got engineered drawings and we started building the shell and filling it out and sourcing materials. And coming into it with, so we'd both done renovations. We actually met in emergency services. We met um, sandbagging for a cyclone, believe it or not. Um, so romantic. And, <laughs> yes. Hold my sandbag. Um, <laughs> that, was, that was basically our, how we met story. And so we did road crash rescue and, you know, um, structural collapse and search and rescue and a couple of those different things together. So we both were competent with tools, but being competent with tools and having done some home renovations compared with building something from scratch is totally different. There's all the intricacies of, you know, what order you need to build something and how do you need to build something according to the plan? 
And so with the engineering plans gave us the frame, but then we need to work out where all the internal walls went and where the PowerPoints went and all that sort of stuff. So there's, there was always problem solving to do. There was always going, okay, this is the problem. How are we going to solve it? And it's a big job. I don't know if you've ever launched into a big job before, you know, you put your head down, you make progress, you smash it out. And then all of a sudden you hit this wall and it's like, man, I need a break. I, I can't keep going. And that was definitely a big part of the build was my husband would smash it out. He'd work really hard. He'd get progress and then he'd just sort of lose his motivation. He'd sort of stall and stop. And there was a point that I was working on the build too. So I was, you know, up at the top corner, screwing the studs together to attach the roof to and things like that. And then we found out that I was pregnant and it was a very high risk pregnancy. Um, I'd already had a stillbirth and I'd already had a 30 weeker and we knew this baby was going to be early and they were doing everything they could to keep this baby in. And I was having regular contractions from, I think it was 26 weeks. I started having regular contractions. So, um, prior to that point, my body started sending me signals that you need to back off. And so I had to step away from the build process, which was, for me, really hard because we were supposed to be in this together. You know, we were supposed to be building our future together and I had to step back. And it was hard for my husband because um, on such a big project, he didn't have someone there. You know, when you go to the gym together or, you know, you go running together and you sort of egg each other on and you keep each other motivated and driven. I was still around, but I wasn't working in the build with him. And that was a really big struggle for the build process is finding that motivation to keep going when you're dealing with something that is so daunting you know you haven't built something like this before built a house from scratch isn't something he'd done and so it can be a very daunting and overwhelming process um so that was the big hurdle for us but at the same time it was also so exciting when you step back and you go I've just done this job and now we have a loft and now we have stairs and Hey, now we have walls or, you know, whatever. Um, there is something very rewarding about knowing that you built something yourself and it's for you. And it's a pretty cool feeling. That's in incredible. And I, I'm, yeah, I'm excited for that, for other people to experience that feeling. Cause it's just not something that's done these days. People don't, you know, start a task, use their hands, create something and finish it. You know, we outsource, we buy online, everything happens. No one actually knows that feeling of self-accomplishment and self-respect that comes with completing a task like that anymore. And I think, I think it's so important that we um, show, teach more kids how to do that as well. Let them get their hands dirty, let them be involved with something and be proud of it yeah. at the end. Um, yes, yeah, so I imagine that would be incredibly rewarding. So rewarding. Yeah, and like you mentioned kids, so our um, three-year-old has been part of the build process and she knows how to use an impact driver and a power drill. She can use a screwdriver. Um, you know, she's been part of, she'd come along with a pen and she you knows she'd draw the lines where she thought we should, should cut the timber and things like that. So she's been a part of this process and seen us build something and she knows that, daddy built this dad this is you know mummy and daddy built this house and daddy built my bedroom and you know that's something to be so proud of when your daughter tells people that daddy built my house 
you know, it, it gives you tingles. It, it really does. And for her to see that she can accomplish something and that she doesn't have to shy back from building something herself. You know, she's got her little box of nails and her little bit of timber and she's got her own hammer and she'll get there with Jeremy and, you know, she'll put all the hammers into the, uh, all the hammers, all the nails <laughs> into the timber and build something with her own hands. And we're able to instill that in her from three. So she's watched us do that. She's watched us start a project and finish it and build something with our hands. That's so great. So what has the transition been like for, for Lydia going, that's your daughter's name, obviously, um, going into the tiny home? How, how did she adapt to that? Um, there's been a lot of different things for her. I mean, any transition, kids are adaptable. Kids really are. But they still, big changes like that is still a big thing for them to deal with. Um, I think the hardest part of her was getting rid of stuff. Um, the one thing that I think really stands out to me was she had this little Lightning McQueen table chair combo, you know, the ones with like the seat lifts up and there's a little cavity underneath it. And that was where she kept all her paper and pencils and she did all her craft and she had her breakfast and, you know, that was her space and it didn't fit in the tiny house. And so teaching her to own that, that, okay, we're going to sell this and yes, it's really sad but you're going to be able to use that money to buy something that does fit into the tiny house. Um, teaching her how to let go of stuff has been, it's hard. I don't know if you've, you've ever noticed you throw out the broken coat hanger and suddenly that is the favorite toy and they just lose their minds. Um, it is hard teaching kids how to get rid of stuff. And that's been a part of the transition for Lydia is needing to say goodbye to some of the stuff that didn't fit in her house. But on the flip side of that, her bedroom is 100% Lydia. Like she asked for orange carpet. She got orange carpet, <laughs> you know, curtains with butterflies. She's got curtains with butterflies. It is 100% her space. And that's pretty exciting for her. So she still reminisces. She still talks about when we were in our big house and we did this when we were in our big house or we had that when we were in our big house or we last saw this person when we were in our big house so that for her is still a very significant part of her timeline it's always like you know that's that's normal um but she loves her tiny house and she loves the fact that she crawls across from her loft into my loft we've got this little crawlway that goes between them and she'll crawl into my bed in the morning um and just cuddle and she gets you know, that's the normal process. She goes from her bedroom to my bedroom and climbs into bed and gives us cuddles and learning how to adapt the space. You know, she's always helping me come up with ideas of where we can put the toys or how we can rearrange the kids' corner or things like that. So it's definitely been a transition for her. And I think the hardest part has been teaching kids um, minimalism, you know, teaching them how to let go of something and how to look at... Um, what their special thing is for her it's clothes and so while I would love her to have a little bit more of a capsule wardrobe the reality is that clothes are her expression and that's her special thing and that's okay we're all entitled to have our one thing that really brings us joy for her that's brightly colored clothes and you know fluoro patterns in with you know flower prints or you know that that's her so it's been a transition but she loves it she loves the space and it's become so normal to her. So we were at a fair a couple of weeks ago. It was like a farmer's market and there was a food truck. And actually it was an ice cream truck. 
And as we've walked around to the ice cream truck, most kids would be like, ice cream, ice cream, mummy, right? No. She goes, hey, mum, look, there's a tiny house just like ours. That is so, so precious. It's become, it's become really normal to her. Um, that's just, you know, it's just a normal part of life. So that's pretty cool. I think that's amazing. And I love that she's learning about minimalism for such a young age. Like, and it's something we encourage with our kids as well. Minimalism is really important to us, um, you know, on our journey, but because as adults, we just attach so many emotions and feelings to stuff. And if they can learn from a young age that their memory and how they feel is not attached to an item, I think you're just setting them up for success and so much more freedom and choice in their life, um, yeah, when they're not just focused on things. And it takes time. Like Lydia had such a, a well, she would have been like two when you were building and going through this. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, about two, two and a half. Yeah, at two, they have such strong views on possession. Like that's one of the main traits of a toddler is this big idea of possession and yours and mine and this is my stuff and don't touch. So teaching her at that age to let go, that would have yeah been difficult and quite emotional for her, but such a valuable life lesson. And I know it's easier for me now, my children are a bit older, like they're four and nearly seven. So they are okay with the object like the letting go every Christmas we do a big donation. We clear out the entire house and they're quite excited to donate stuff and they'll sit there and really look at their Ninja Turtle and be like, do I play with this? When was the last time I played with this? Could someone else enjoy this more? So teaching you those skills from so early on. So important. Yeah. That, and that's really awesome that you're um, teaching your kids about the importance of giving as well. So it's not just, getting rid of something, but, you know, teaching them to give it away to someone else who might, you know, love it or need it more than they do. So what do you think has been the biggest challenges you've come up against in, in the building the tiny house process? Like obviously the pregnancy and all that would have been, you know, its own issue within itself. What has been the biggest things from the biggest moments where you went, you know what, I don't know if we can do this. For me, there were two things that really stand out. Um, the first one was when I tried to get insurance and, um, at the moment, the tiny house movement is still really, really new in Australia. And I really, really, really hope that it becomes more normal and things like insurance becomes so much more accessible. Um, but the issue that we face, so I jumped on the phone and I spoke to a company and I'm like, this is what we're doing. Can I get DIY builders insurance? And they're like, nope, you can't get DIY builders insurance because it's on wheels. It's an unknown liability to us go talk to a caravan insurer. So I talked to a caravan insurer and the caravan insurer was like, nope, you can't insure with us because it's still under construction. Um, if a DIY builder won't insure you, well then you, you just can't get cover until such time as it's finished. So <laughs> the entire build project, our tiny house sat in our driveway with our land cruiser very strategically parked in front of it and a very peculiar hitch on the trailer because we couldn't get insurance. We had no coverage for it. And for me as someone who knew that we'd just invested our entire savings into a project, which yes, paid off, but it was a risk. And I'm going, but what if something goes wrong? I'm that, I'm that what if person. It's something that I'm working on personally, but I'm that what if person who goes to, you know, the far depths of what if, what if, what if. So for me, that was the moment I was like, is this liability worth it or should we just sell it and make it someone else's problem? For me, 
that was a really big challenge to get past. Um, the other really big challenge we had in the actual building process was water damage. Um, it was one of those things that in hindsight, we could have done things differently. We could have used marine grade ply for our subfloor and we could have used builder's plastic, which is thicker than the tarp on the trailer bed. Um, maybe we could have built in an industrial shed until it was waterproof, or maybe we could have taken a couple weeks off work to really smash out that shell till it was waterproof. In hindsight, there were things that we could have done, but the reality was with what we built, with my husband working a full-time job as an apprentice, so he had one TAFE day, he got asked to do a second certificate, a certificate four, which he was then doing a night course. He was also part of emergency services and army reserves as well. It didn't leave a lot of time. We had weekends and we had about three evenings a week to work on our tiny house. And so working with that timeline with what we had, we ended up with water damage to our frame. And that was something that once we managed to get the walls up and get it waterproof, we then had to spend almost two weeks drying our house out inside. We had heaters going full time. We had a dehumidifier going full time. All the walls had to be treated with, you know, mold inhibitor and all this sort of stuff. The whole house has had to be painted with mold inhibitor. Um, and we had to rip up the subfloor. We had to replace the insulation and replace the subfloor because the water damage was so significant. It couldn't, the, the insulation was like a sponge. It just soaked up all that water. And it cost us so much time and stress and questioning of if we were capable and was this worth it? And, you know, all these things that were the really dark days, um, that one issue was probably what cost us the most heartache in the whole process. And it was hard. Pushing through was really hard when you want nothing more to just go, this is too hard. I'm ready to walk away right now. Yeah. It's quite difficult. And I, I, we've been through a similar experience and some of the people who followed me on Facebook would have seen when our bathroom was a leaky tap and the plumber came in and just to fix the leaky tap, he had to take a couple of tiles off the wall. And by the end of the day, our entire bathroom was stripped and the walls were literally gone and there was mold in the bathroom that went through to the next room, went through to the next room. And it was really, really difficult. It was like, we can't go back from this, even though you just kind of want it you want to ignore it and want to go, no, this is too hard. I can't deal with this. But at the same point, you have to move forward. And in some way you've either got to, you've got to do something to get through to the other side. And it's, it's those times in your head, which is really hard. And like the same with insurance company, you can find someone to cover you during the build. Our insurance company had a loophole, which they didn't have to pay for any of our bathroom renovations that ended up being three rooms. So it is those really dark days that makes you kind of question everything and it definitely puts strain on the relationship so yeah. was there anything yeah other other than the actual like build process itself what were the things you wish you knew going into it is there just like a couple of things that you wish you could run back and tell Sarah at the very beginning yeah for sure um I wish I had known how overwhelming the decluttering was going to be and how much I had to learn about minimalism versus decluttering so really um if I had have started the process it took me nearly 12 months to really pare down our possessions even though we'd culled so much from when we were in South Australia from moving in from the five bedroom house into the tiny house um culling so significantly took me nearly 12 months to do 
I wish I had been able to go back and tell myself that yes, it was going to be a process and yes, it was okay to revisit the same times, but to start thinking about what was important enough to me to keep as opposed to walking around the house looking for the next thing that I could get rid of. Um, so I'd wish I'd known that. I wish I had known to plug into a community and to build enthusiasm, excitement from other people because I didn't have to do it alone. There were other people going through the same hurdles. Um, so I wish I had have known to plug into a community. And I wish I had have been able to tell myself that, yes, it was going to be really stressful. Um, when you're both stressed and you're both tired, it um, there's a lot of personal growth to do and there's the possibility to have a lot of fights. So I wish I had have been able to go back and tell myself to really put um, our relationship first and make sure that we were spending time together on each other, investing those moments in each other and not just prioritising the build. Um, I wish I had have been able to go back and tell myself that. That's great. And I think, yeah, keeping that relationship in the forefront when you, when you are doing something so stressful, even like building a house is one of the most top rated stressors on a couple. And that's when you're just getting someone else to build it. And that's when you just have to deal with selections and what color do we want the tiles in the bathroom for you guys actually physically building your house. I can't even imagine the amount of just, just added pressure that would be constantly sitting on top of your relationships and your interactions. So how is that now? Now living in the tiny home together as a little family, the four of you, how different is your life? It's really different. I think, um, I know for me, I'm a lot more aware of my triggers. I know that mess is a trigger. So we work together. Um, my husband steps in and when he sees me struggling, he is part of that um, family unit and he steps in and he helps with the dishes and the sweeping and he takes the girls out to, you know, Bunnings or whatever. So we're more aware of what each other's triggers are and how we can help each other cope with those things. Um, as a family, we spend a lot more time together. We'd fallen into the habit of eating in front of the TV when we were in the house because we were just, we were always stressed and overwhelmed and, you know, the dining room was never clean because nothing was ever clean. So we eat together more than we ever have. We talk together, we play outside together. Um, we spend a lot more time actually being a family and building those relationships than we ever have and learning to watch for each other's triggers and how we can help each other cope with those things. That's great. And it's a journey of self-development and self-discovery. As much as you're learning about yourself, you're learning about you know, your partner as well and learning so much more about your kids. And I love that you said about eating dinner together as a family because it is, it's so easy to slip into that habit of eating at separate times, eating in front of the TV, eating on the go. And it's something as simple as just being mindful for one meal a day and being present with each other. It can make a big, big difference. I think it's actually been shown to reduce the, like if you can do it with your kids, it actually reduces their chances of developing depression and anxiety as an adult. I don't know the exact statistic, but it's quite strong. Yeah. So what, if someone was listening to this and who's been interested in the tiny house movement in living a more minimalist way, but have had that kind of, you know, those excuses we come up with for ourselves, like, uh, you know, we can't do it. We've got a family, we've got kids, I've got too much stuff. I could never go without my theater room. Like, what would you kind of say to that person listening right now? I would ask them what's holding them back. Um, we get, 
we get comfortable being uncomfortable. We get comfortable dealing with the daily stuff that we don't really enjoy because trying something that's a bit different or a bit risky is just too scary. Um, so I would ask them what's holding them back. What do they want for themselves? Um, are they really happy working flat out all the time and trying to maintain a big house just for the purpose of having a theatre room? Or is there something more to life? Um, for us, it's given us more time freedom, more financial freedom, less time that needs to be spent on cleaning or dishes. And yeah, sure, the house still gets messy and there's still dishes stacked from yesterday. But you know what? It'll take me 20 minutes tops to clean my kitchen. I've, we've freed up so much time and emotional energy and it's really worth it. If you are not happy where you are, it's time to do something about it, um, to make some space for yourself to be freer, be lighter, to, to lift some of that weight off your shoulders. I know in a big house, um, I mean, some people aren't going to have this, you know, if you're already on the journey to minimalism, maybe this isn't for you. But I know for us, when I walked in the door and I walked into the, so our foyer in our old house sort of went into the lounge room and I'd walk into the lounge room and it was like this weight just sunk onto my shoulders. All the stuff and the fatigue and just that negative energy just sort of settled on my shoulders and it was like my whole body just got heavy when I walked into my home getting rid of all the stuff that was holding us down and making more um, more freedom for ourselves, living a little bit simpler, getting rid of some of those um, commitments that we had to do, you know, reducing our burden a little bit, it's made the biggest difference. And we have so much more time and freedom to be a family and to be what we want to be than we've ever had before. So for the people who are listening and are questioning and going, Oh, but I can't because you can, it's possible. You just have to make the decision to move up off that place where you know that you're not really comfortable and take the risk and move somewhere else. Try something new. Um, you won't regret it. You will have learned and you will have changed. You will have grown and you won't regret it. Fantastic. What would be, your first couple of tips for someone wanting to live a more, a simple, like, you know, they're not ready for the tiny house thing yet. And I get it. Like it's still on a journey for me um, to sustainability and having my own homestead. But what would your first tips for someone who's just discovering kind of this world of less waste and really, I'm going to say like ethical living, but really thinking about everything that you do and the impact that it has long-term, what would be your first tips for people diving into this? I think if I had to pick three things, I would say have a go with a capsule wardrobe, um, learn to simplify a little bit and be a little bit more conscious about your clothing choices. It's amazing what you can create with, you know, 30 to 40 pieces of clothing. Have a go at living a little bit simpler. For us, one of the first things that we did was we went through the kitchen and we took we put away ev all the crockery and cutlery except for one plate, one bowl, one fork, one knife, one spoon, and one cup each. Everything else went in a cupboard. We didn't get rid of it because we still had people over for dinner sometimes, so it would come out for those occasions. But it wasn't there to be used one plate for breakfast, one place for lunch, one place for dinner, and maybe a snack plate during the day. 
simplifying um, the kitchen for us was one of the first things and building a capture wardrobe. Um, they were some of the habits that sort of carried over into the tiny home and made that transition smoother, being able to live with less, live simply rather than having all of these choices being overwhelming and sort of in our face. You know, when you look at a kid play with a toy box and they walk over to it and they just pull everything out and then they crawl away again because there were all these choices and they went, you know what, I can't decide. And so they just walked away. I think as adults, sometimes we can be a bit like that as well. You know, we've got six different sorts of wine glasses and we've got three different dinner sets and we've got the good cutlery and the day-to-day -day cutlery. And sometimes it can all be a little bit overwhelming for us knowing what to choose. So the big tip for me would be just practice living a little bit more simply, put away that extra cutlery, extra crockery, make your kitchen a bit simpler, practice your capsule wardrobe, and start being a little bit more conscious about your waste. Do a, a waste audit, have a look at where your waste comes from, learn to compost, and um, start swapping out some of your disposables for reusable things. Um, in a tiny house, we don't have room for a big rubbish bin. It's a tiny little bag that we fill once a week. And that's all habits that we have built over the last 12 to 18 months, learning how to um, reduce that waste has been a really big part of being able to live in a tiny place. Yeah, I, I think reducing the amount of waste and being conscious about what you're recycling and what you're composting and what actually goes into those rubbish bins at the end of the week, that's such a, a simple step. Like it's not requiring you to sell your big mansion and move into a tiny house, but it can have such a ginormous impact. Um, and I'm so excited. My green compost bin from the council is getting delivered today and I'm like peeking out the window all morning. I can't wait to have my compost bin, which I never thought I'd hear myself say. But there's that sense of satisfaction when you go from having an overflowing, just general waste rubbish bin, and you can get it just lower and less and less and less and less, and you see your recycling and your compost. Things start to grow. Like that's, it's such a small change, and it can only take two seconds out of your day to go, wait a minute, does this need to go on the rubbish or can this be recycled? Or can I make a conscious choice and use a recyclable straw instead of a normal straw? They're just tiny little changes that if we all made would add up to some massive difference. That's it. And so I love that you've spoken about minimalism and decluttering. Would you, I actually, you have a, you have a resource to help people with minimalism, don't you? Yes, I do. I do. Um, so I have a bundle that's available, which is um, a little taste out of my course, which is coming up. So it's the module on decluttering and minimalism and thinking about the process of how to declutter, but also how to change that mindset as well. And then I've paired that with a why tiny worksheet. So a part of this, why I designed that worksheet was the ability to write down the goal for you, flesh it out and then stick it up somewhere so that when you are having a really shit day and it's all just too hard, being able to walk over and remind yourself why you're doing what you're doing. And honestly, if you want to cross out why tiny and put um, why camping or why work from home or why, you know, whatever, these questions will work. You know, just follow the same process. Um, so that's an awesome bundle for people. But yeah, the decluttering module um, I think it's really important for people to start learning about how to change that mindset so you're not just bringing stuff in all the time. Getting rid of it doesn't solve the problem if you're still bringing stuff in all the time. 
Yes. And I, I have the same thing. It's like every, before both of my kids' birthdays, before Christmas, before anything kind of major is happening where we know stuff's going to be coming in, we do a massive clear out of the house and have a look at what we actually have. And somehow, like, I am not a shopper. I buy nothing. And that I do get is mostly secondhand. And yet still, every time I do this donation clear out, I end up with literally gigantic garbage bags full of stuff to donate. And I'm like, I don't get where this is coming from. We're not bringing anything in, but it is just, you know, there is those, I guess, really, really um, hardcore ways where people go minimalist, where they box everything up in the shed and what they haven't pulled out of a box individually in 90 days gets, you know, donated. There's that way of doing it, but there's also just this like gradual awareness movement where little bit by little bit, you get less, it gets better. You learn more, you start to prioritize what's important to you. And I love that, you know, your bundle and the course that you have launching soon, which is very exciting, is, is addressing that for people in a really digestible way so that it's not just gigantic and overwhelming thing. Yeah, yeah that's it. Um, small baby steps that become part of life. Um, it's very easy to look at this great big goal and think, oh my gosh, where do I start? So just learning, teaching people how to break things down into small steps and infiltrate it into daily life so that you just slowly transition. You know, that's, that's the way that we make changes. That's the way that we change the world and change ourselves is slowly changing those daily habits. Perfect. Well, Sarah, I've loved chatting with you. If people have resonated with what we've talked about today and want to follow more of your journey and see more of your stuff, where can they find you? Yep. So I'm on Facebook as Miko Blue Tiny Living Specialist and on Instagram as Miko Blue as well. Um, I've got my website, which is www.mikoblue.com. Um, and I'd love, I'd love to reach out and um, really engage with people who are looking for ways to either start practicing these habits now where they are, or who are really ready to dive in and go tiny. So um, I can't wait to be connecting with no, more people ready to change their lives. Fantastic. Yes, definitely reach out. Reach, reach out. Can't talk. Um, we're excited to hear your feedback. And if you do have any questions for Sarah, um, please message her, message me, and we will try and do um, organize a time for her to answer some questions as well, because I think this is a topic that so many of you will be interested in. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Sarah. I'll let you get back to your little family and your tiny home. And I look forward to seeing everything that's coming ahead for you with your launch of your course happening. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you loved this episode, please subscribe and leave me a little love note by tagging me at sexy underscore selfish. To check out more of the Sexy Selfish podcast or to grab some of my little goodies, head on over to the freebie hub at www.sexyselfish.com. It's totally free and it's jam-packed with hours and hours of content for you. Thank you so much for being here with me today on the Sexy Selfish show and showing up today to become the best version of you. I'm sure you got so much out of today's episode and I know that I really did as well. If there is someone in your life who would really benefit from hearing this episode and some of the things we shared about, please share it with them right now. It's as easy as just sharing a link and you could literally change someone's life. 
Remember, it is time to stop delaying your happiness.